Genesis 39, verse 1. Let's stand as we read God's word. Get our aerobics in this morning. Genesis 39, verse 1. The Holy Spirit says through Moses. Now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who brought him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So, the, so Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him and made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From, time, from that time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he, that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house and has put me in and put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph, day after day after day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. You may be seated. Have you ever said this? I couldn't resist it. I told the Lord that if there was a parking spot right in front of crumbled cookies, <laughs> then I knew it was a sign from him. So after driving around six times, on the seventh time, behold, the parking spot was open and I knew it was the will of God. <laughs> Has anything like that ever happened to you? Do you have some areas of weakness? Are there things that you struggle with that are hard to resist and that thing comes to you and you end up buying it or eating it or drinking it or clicking on it, or betting on it, or smoking it, or watching it, or telling someone else about it? Did you know that not every opportunity that comes in your way is from the Lord? Did you know that sometimes opportunities are temptations to sin in disguise? We all struggle with temptation. If you don't struggle with temptation, you're a liar. And that's a temptation to you. Oscar Wilde, the, the great British author of the 19th century said, I can overcome anything but temptation. All of us have areas in our lives that we struggle with. For some, it's a lifelong struggle. For others, it's a new struggle. For some of you in this room, 
you have fallen into sin in your past and you are still living with the guilt and the shame ever since. Well, I've got good news today. There is one who has overcome temptation and his name is Jesus. And if you're gonna overcome temptation in your life, if you're gonna find victory in your life, it's only gonna be by trusting in him. Now we're in the life of Joseph. And today we're seeing that Joseph is going to be tempted to sin and yet he refuses to do so. And in this whole entire series, we've been talking about this one thing called the providence of God. The providence of God is, is a beautiful uh, picture of how God, by his power, is working to uphold, guide, and care for his people. What we've seen thus far in the life of Joseph is that all things do not come by chance, but they come by the fatherly hand of God, even when it comes to temptation. Now, let me tell you something. You need to know this. God does not tempt you to sin. If God tempted you to sin, you could not overcome it. God does not cause you to sin. God does not cause you to be tempted. God cannot be tempted by evil. Neither does he tempt anyone. But yet God allows his people to be tempted. And in this allowing, in this permission, he is doing so to test our faith so that we learn to run to him and trust in him to overcome temptation in our lives. We're gonna see this in the life of Joseph. In Genesis 39, we see the events that surround Joseph's temptation and how he serves as an example of trusting God to overcome it. So let's just unpack that. Number one, the events surrounding the temptation. Verse one tells us that Joseph has been brought down to Egypt. Verse chapter 38 is, a, is kind of a step away. We last saw Joseph the dreamer being thrown into the pit and sold into slavery. Then chapter 38 tells us the story of Joseph's, Joseph's brother, whose name was Judah, whose wife died and he is tempted by sin and falls into sin. Now you have chapter 39 where we are brought back to Joseph and the Bible tells us that Joseph has gone down, has gone down. He's been brought down, he's been brought down. God was humbling Joseph. Have any of you ever been brought down before? And now he is no longer a favored son. He is now forced into slavery. He is now a slave to a guy named Potiphar who was the chief military officer of the Egyptian army, a man of influence, a man of wealth, and a man of great authority. And think about this. Joseph is now starting from the bottom. He has to learn a new language. He has to learn new customs. He has to learn new rules. He has to learn a new way of life. And that's verse number one. But then we see verse number two, which is muy importante. The Lord was with Joseph. At the beginning of this chapter and at the end of this chapter, we are told that the Lord was with Joseph. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter seven, when this story is taught by Stephen, he says that the Lord was with Joseph. What does it mean for the Lord to be with you? Well, it means to have the favor of God upon you. Well, what is favor? You know, we hear some preachers say, well, I've got favor. Have you, do you have the favor of God? You say that person has the favor of God on them. Here's what that means. Favor means fellowship with God and fruitfulness from God over time in your life. 
Sometimes you see the fruit, sometimes you don't. But what is very obvious is that the steadfast love of God was upon the life of Joseph. And because of that, he was successful. Listen, the secret to success in Joseph's life was that the Lord is with him. The secret to success in your life is that the Lord is with you. And you wonder, is the Lord with me? If you are a Christian, the Lord is with you. The Holy Spirit of God is inside of you. The Holy Spirit is Christ in the Christian. And so verse three tells us that his master Saul that the Lord was with him. Here you have a pagan who knew God when he saw him. He saw the fingerprints of God all over Joseph's life. Now, Joseph had apparently grown up. This wide-eyed dreamer has now learned to stay low. He's now depending on the Lord. He is now living for the God of his fathers. Adversity did not make him bitter towards God, but drew him closer to God. And God was developing character in this, man's, this young man's life in the face of much difficulty. Verse 4 tells us that Joseph found favor in the sight of his boss, Potiphar. That after years and years of hard work, integrity, and obedience, scholars say that probably 10 years have elapsed from 17-year-old Joseph to now 27-year-old Joseph, in which he is now named COO and CFO of Potiphar Enterprises. This position was not given, it was earned. For years, Joseph woke up asking himself this question when he got out of bed, how can I make Potiphar's life easier? Have you ever heard of a guy named John Maxwell? John Maxwell is a leadership guru. And one of the things that John Maxwell talks about is that after he does his talk on leadership, people will come to him and they say, John, I really love what you do. I want to do what you do. I want to do exactly what you do. And John Maxwell will graciously say this to them. Well, I know you want to do what I do, uh, but will you do what I did? In other words, you don't know the hard work. You don't know the effort. You don't know the years uh, that it took to get me where I am. I mean, here's the thing that we find is that everyone wants to change the world, but very few people want to wash the dishes. And so here you have Joseph, a man of integrity. Now God is working in his life, in the darkness of his life. And so from the time that he was made overseer of Potiphar Enterprises, a poor prophet business, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house. Joseph's presence brought a blessing just for the mere fact that he was there. This is again fulfillment of the Abrahamic blessing of Genesis 12, 3, in which God said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God blessed Joseph to be a blessing to Potiphar. You know, sometimes we are blessed and we're successful, and we're prosperous, and we look and we think, why, God? Why would you allow me to have what I have? Why would you allow me to do what I do? And here's what you have to understand. When you don't exactly know why, you should go ahead and assume it wasn't about you. It was for other people. See, God blesses us to be a blessing, not to be a cul-de-sac, as Tony Evans would say, but to be a conduit. And therefore, on the flip side of that, when we see others that are blessed and we're not, 
We shouldn't be jealous or envious of others who are blessed because the Lord has his reason for the blessing and we may not know what the other person went through to get where they are to have the blessings that they have. As we look at Joseph's life, remember the same guy who was blessed by God is also the same guy who was thrown in a pit at 17 and sold into slavery. So God's favor was on him. Potiphar trust Joseph with everything. The only decision that Potiphar made was what he was going to eat. See, it's amazing that Joseph became Jacob's favorite and became Potiphar's favorite. Joseph had to have changed, right? He wasn't some self-righteous pain in the neck anymore. He wasn't just some knucklehead. He had to have been different. There, there's a level of integrity, a, a level of, of likability. What caused that? Adversity. And then you get to verse six, in which the Bible says, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Not only was he successful in what he did, but he was beautiful and he was built. There are four guys in the Bible who the Bible describes that looked like Joseph. Number one, Joseph. Number two, Saul. Number three, David. Number four, Absalom. And I want you to understand that there's a challenge in looking good. I mean, I know this from personal experience. <laughs> How hard it is to walk around built and beautiful. I mean, it's tough. I don't know why you're laughing. You should pray for me. Struggle. One old Scottish writer said this. He said, dost thou want beauty? Be content and thankful that you are free from the snares which often attend to it. So here Joseph was successful, young, bold, built, and beautiful. And the Bible says in verse seven that after a time, his boss's wife, Mrs. Potiphar, casts her eyes on Joseph. See, before she just call, saw him as just some young man attending the house. Now she sees him. And things, think about this, things were going so good in Joseph's life. And that's when Mrs. Potiphar attacks. She comes to Joseph and says, lie with me. She doesn't say lie to me. She says, let's get it on. She wasn't subtle. She saw this young, attractive, well-built young man and she looked at him and she had already gone to bed with him in her mind and now she wants to go to bed with him for real. She went from looking at him to lusting after him. Now, let me just state this early on, that sexual desire is not necessarily lust. Sexual desire is not wrong in and of itself. God gave us these desires. But what happens is, is that sexual desire turns to lust when that desire gets out of control and gets out of order. See, sexual desire becomes a sin when it is an appetite that is out of order, when it is pleasure without a promise, when it's a desire that doesn't follow the design. See, the issue was not that she desired Joseph. The issue was that she was not Joseph's wife and that Joseph was not her husband and that they had no business being in a relationship like that. 
See, we live in a world full of lust and our world calls it love. But here's the thing. Our world is so in love with lies that truth sounds like hate to them. Here's what you gotta understand. What some people call love is just lust. You know, like, you remember when you were a high school kid and you would say, oh, I'm in love. Well, you might have been, but it was more like lust. Tim Keller talks about love and lust, and he says that lust is the opposite of love. He says, in love, you want the person. In lust, you want the pleasure, and the person is just a necessary commodity to get there. In love, you want a person, even if you have to forego the pleasure. In lust, you want the pleasure and you don't really care about the person at all. We'll see this in Mrs. Potiphar because when Joseph, spoiler alert, turns her down, what does she want to do? She wants to kill him. Because if you idolize something and they refuse you, then you will demonize it and criticize it and try to kill it. Now, let me just share with you that if you have the favor of God, if you have the Holy Spirit of God in your life, that does not make you immune from temptation. As a matter of fact, being a Christian may mean that you are a bigger target for temptation. Here we see that Joseph was a man who now was a child, a follower of God. But yet he was also a young, red-blooded man who was not allowed to be married as a slave. And now he had an opportunity of a lifetime put in front of him by a person who had power, a position of power in his life. It was a temptation. Tim Chalice defines temptation as this. Temptation is anything that promises satisfaction at the cost of your obedience to God. Temptation is when circumstances work together so that you have the ability and maybe even the desire to do something that God forbids. Here in this moment, the temptation was there. Joseph knew that if he were to disobey God, it may satisfy him in the moment, but it ultimately was a sin against him. So in our lives, we're, we have certain seasons in our life where we're more vulnerable to temptation than others. The two seasons that I think were the most vulnerable are the seasons of adversity and the seasons of prosperity. In adversity, we feel discouraged when bad things happen to us, when, when, when we get diagnosed with something, when some bad situation happens, some injury or some financial crisis. In those moments, we get discouraged and we get dis desperate and we just wanna feel good. Some of you live with chronic pain. And you just want to feel good. I mean, who really wants to be in pain and, and miserable? And so you, in your mind, say, well, all I need is just an escape. If I can just escape reality and find some release from the pain, then I'll be better. And so in times of adversity, we justify certain opportunities that come our way. We just think, well, you know, I just want to get away. I don't really deserve the pain. I deserve to be happy. And by doing this, I'll be happy. So you're very vulnerable for temptation and, and the adversity. But, but even more in, in adversity, I think there's a greater temptation that comes with prosperity. See, in, in prosperity, 
when you're doing good, when your business is good, when you're making money, when your marriage is thriving, when your kids are flourishing, when things seem to be turning up roses all the time, you begin to have this mindset that you are invincible and that you're bulletproof. The problem is the, the greater the success, the greater the vulnerability. And what happens is, is that when you're successful, you begin to develop a sense of entitlement in which you begin to think, well, you know, everything that I do is good and I'm so successful in everything that I do so I can just get whatever I want because I deserve it. I've earned it. I worked for it. I deserve to be able to do this. And within that great moment of success comes that great temptation of entitlement. And here you see Joseph is in both seasons. On one hand, he's a slave to Potiphar, away from his family. Could have used a million excuses to do what he was asked to do. But on the other side, he was in prosperity. He was successful in all that he was. He was a, a man that was in charge of an entire estate. Well, what would he do? Well, I'm glad you asked. He obeyed God. He said no. He ran away. So what do we do with this? How, how do we overcome temptation? How, how is Joseph an example? Because you're going to be tempted today. You're going to be tempted tomorrow. So what do we do with this? I'm going to give you some, some ways that we learn from Joseph's example. The first thing I want you to see that Joseph is an example by removing the option. If you want to overcome temptation, remove the option. Barbara Bush said it well, just say no. Well, what does it say in verse number 10? That she spoke to Joseph day after day after day after day. She just kept going. Let me, temptation is normally not just a one-time event. It's not like you see crumble cookies or you see the donut shop or you see Chick-fil-A and no, you keep seeing it. It's not that the, uh, the ad pops up once. It's not that the, uh, the, uh, the email comes in. No, it's just over and over. It's a constant barrage. And so here in this moment, Mrs. Potiphar was aggressive and relentless. She was trying to break down his resolve. And the more he rejected her, the more she wanted him. But, but notice what he, he does here. He, he refused to listen to her. He, he sent her straight to voicemail. Hey, have you ever called somebody and you know they sent you straight to voicemail? Like you call them, it rings once and boop. It's, it's annoying, right? I mean, he sent her straight to voicemail. He wouldn't, he wouldn't lie beside her. He used a sting defense. Don't stand, don't stand so close to me. Some of you older people, you know what I was talking about there. <laughs> Middle schoolers are like, what's he talking about? The sting policy? He wouldn't be with her. Listen, he wouldn't put himself in a position where it would be easy to fall. You know, spiritual immature people think that they are bulletproof and invincible. The sign of spiritual maturity is seen by how they act. 
Because spiritually immature people ask this question, how close can I get without sinning? That's spiritually immature people. Spiritually mature people, you know what they, they, they say? You, you know how, how they live their life? The modus operandi of their life is how far can I stay away? So much of our society is about putting the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff rather than putting a fence at the top. See, you can't tame temptation. You, you gotta do radical things to remove the option from your life. There's an article I read that said this, headline, Pennsylvania woman killed by pet bear. <laughs> Kellyanne Waltz raised a black bear she named Teddy from cubhood. She raised him for nine years and there were no incidents. And then one day she was cleaning his cage, he was in it and he mauled her and killed her. Reporters interviewed the neighbors. One of her neighbors said this. True story, by the way. Here's what the neighbor said. Kelly was a good person. We just thought she had a strange hobby. <laughs> Found out that she had also had caged lions and boa constrictors. Listen, taming a bear is not a hobby. It's a death wish. Playing with sin is not a hobby, it's a death wish. Sin will fascinate you and then it will assassinate you. Sin is a predator. You can't play with it. Some of you need to get something on your phone to keep you from looking at stuff you shouldn't. Some of you need an accountability partner, covenant eyes. Some of you parents need to look into things on your kid's phone. Something that we use as a family is called bark. You need to get a new job, some of you, because you are having an emotional affair with someone you work with. Some of you need to just get rid of the computer, and some of you may need to end a toxic relationship. Be killing sin before sin be killing you. Remove the option. Parents, let me let you in on something. The little device you give your kids is a bear. It's a lion and it's a venomous snake. Do not be naive to think they don't know how to get around. You are a fool. Just saying. Let the Holy Spirit speak. Remove the option. Number two, now I'm going to get to preaching. <laughs> Remember what God has given you. Verses eight and nine, she says, come on to my house. My house says, come on. And he says, nope. And then she says, why? And he says, because basically, if I were to sum it up, Potiphar has been really good to me and God's been really good to me. Joseph was grateful for all that he had. And, and in this moment, he names all that God had given him. You know, when Mrs. Potiphar came knocking on his door, he could have mentioned all the things he didn't have. Because, well, I don't have a wife. I don't have any kids. I don't have a house of my own. And he, he could have used what he didn't have to justify what he shouldn't do. You understand that we often struggle with sin because we forget what we've already had? We, we've, we struggle with sin because we forget what we already have. 
Listen, it is easy for us to justify sin when our tendency is to grumble and complain. If your life is grumbling and complaining for what you don't have, you are a target for sin. See, the heart of ingratitude paves a way for a heart of greed, for a heart of lust, for a heart of envy, and a heart of pride. Here's what sin does. Here, here's what temptation says. Temptation says you need more, you need better, and you need different than you already have. And that's the lie. And listen, our culture feeds into that. What does social media do? What does TikTok do? What does Instagram do? What does the mass media do? They say, you need something more. You need something better. You need something different. That's why when iPhone 15 comes out, it, all it is is just the same thing it was, just maybe a slightly different wrapper, okay? I, I don't wanna go there because I got convicted. So let's keep going. Be grateful for what you have. I read a verse this week, changed my thinking, Ephesians 5, 3, and 4. Just follow with me in this verse, okay? Here's what Paul says. He says, but sexual immorality, that Greek word porneia, but porn, pornography and all impurity and covetousness, that's envy, must not be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking which you're out of place. That word out of place is like a dislocated bone. He says, it's not proper for you to be looking at porn. It's out of place for you to be running your mouth. But instead, what does he say? Let there be, say it with me, thanksgiving. Isn't that amazing? Get rid of filthiness. Get rid of foolishness by thankfulness. Do you understand that the root of sexual sin is dissatisfaction with what God has given you? If you're married and you are addicted to pornography or you're married and you're having an affair with someone else, what you're saying is, God, the husband or the wife you've given me is not enough for me. See, the moment that you feel tempted to sin, you start to think, man, she would like to know what that's like. But when you are tempted to sin, the way you can fight it is to remember the things that God has given you and to be grateful for them. Because there is power in a grateful heart. You have a list in my phone of about 50 things that I'm thankful for. And I constantly update it, constantly look at it. And when I'm down, when I'm discouraged, when I'm disappointed, when I'm tempted, I'm reminded of all these things. Listen, you understand that you are a child of God, that Christ has died on the cross for you. Some of you that are married, you have a husband or a wife. Some of you that have kids, you have kids, you have family, you have friends, you have a church. When you remember all those things, it will fuel gratitude and it will fight against temptation. James Fix, who um, wrote a book in 1977 called The Complete Book of Running. He's the guy that really brought marathon running into the masses in America. So you can thank him, okay? And James Fix says that the hardest thing for marathon runners, that's 26.2, I think, miles. Imagine somebody running 26 miles. He says, the hardest thing for marathoners is the battle in the mind. 
He says, you can, the body can kind of figure it out, but the mind is, is really where it plays tricks. So he said what he would do is he, he would start running and then all of a sudden he would be like, well, why in the world am I doing this to myself? And he would just quit the race. So he said to, to fight that, he would memorize before his marathon reasons why he was running this marathon and I, the, how I feel, my, my physical health, the, the sense of accomplishment, uh, the sense of, of challenging myself. And so when he was running and he would get to mile 10 or mile 14 or mile 16, he would remind himself the reasons why he was running and it would help him keep going. But he had another trick and here's the other trick. He says that sometimes when you're in mile 15 or 16 or 18, you can't remember what you memorized or the reasons why you loved running. And so he said what he would do is he, he taught himself the discipline to tell himself in those moments, yes, brain, you can't remember why, but there is a reason why. And at the end of the race, you'll know the reason why. What I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, is this. You're in a race right now, and you are tempted to quit, and you may now have forgotten the reasons why you're running the race for Jesus, but I promise you there's a reason. Because you are a child of God, a son and a daughter of the King. You are born again, spirit-filled, forgiven, adopted, never forsaken, always loved child of God. And you may have forgotten the reason why you say no to sin, but there's a reason why you say no to sin and he's worth it. Let me give you the next thing. This is a long sermon, I'm sorry. It's like five sermons in one. You get a discount today. <laughs> Number three, recognize sin is against God. Sometimes we say, well, you know what? If no one sees it, if no one knows it, then no one's hurt by it. Joseph said, no, this is great wickedness. It's a sin against God. And it was his fear of God that kept him from justifying the sin. Do you understand that there is no more powerful force to overcome temptation than the fear of God? Some of y'all, including myself, need a little bit more fear of God in us. Now I've heard people say to me, well, you, I just can't help myself. The urge is too strong, preacher. I, I'm too weak, preacher. I, I just, in the moment, I, I couldn't shut it off. Well, that may be true, but it's not completely true. I mean, just imagine, maybe some of you imagine when you were in high school, I'm just gonna use this illustration. You're a guy and you go to your girlfriend's house. You're home alone in the house. Parents aren't there. So the natural thing that teenagers do, parents, when nobody's around, is to not play go fish. The natural thing when two hormonal teenagers together, alone in a house, is to make out. <laughs> and maybe some more. And so just imagine you start making out with her, and then all of a sudden, her muscle-bound military, gun-owning dad walks into the room. <laughs> what do you think you would do in that moment? Would you continue to make out with this man's daughter and just look at him and say, I can't help myself? 
No, for fear of your life, you will stop. Why? Because you fear her dad and love your life more than you have the urge to make out with this man's daughter. If we only had that kind of fear of God. Number four, I'm almost done. Remind yourself of the consequences. Verse nine, he looks at her and says, listen, we can't do this because you're not my wife. You, we are not married. You are his wife. And, and Joseph understood that this was not God's design. And when you go away from God's design, it, it always leads to brokenness. Now, we don't have time to unpack all this, but he was speaking logic to her. And here's something about sin. Sin is never logical. You ever seen somebody that just done something really dumb? Like, dumb. <laughs> and what do you normally say? What were they thinking? The answer is they weren't. No one ever plans to ruin their lives. And the thing about it is when you're falling, it's kind of fun until the thud at the bottom. See, there's always an upside to sin. It's instant gratification. It feels good in the moment. But the downside of sin is ruining your life. I mean, think about this. For those of you that are involved in relationships you shouldn't be, understand that sexual sin is never a victimless crime. You could lose your marriage. You could lose your life. Think about this. Someone else could be raising your kids other than you. One day, you're gonna have to tell your kids what you've done. And this may be the legacy of your life. I mean, if Joseph would have failed in this moment, all we've ever known about Joseph is that he fell into sin. Fifth point, fifth point, we're almost there. When you're struggling with temptation, remove the option, remember what God has given you, recognize the sin is against God, remind yourself of the consequences, and number five, run away and trust God with it. She, makes a, she, she sets him up. She creates an empty house. She hopes that, in her mind, maybe Joseph wouldn't do this because people were around. So if I can get him alone and nobody can see it, then he'll, he'll do it. Isn't it interesting that when we sin, sometimes we think that as long as we can hide it and no one else knows about it, we're okay? Well, God knows. She runs to him, he runs from her. He ran away, he doesn't linger, he takes off. He goes so fast, he comes out of his clothes. <laughs> That's what she was hoping for, but it wasn't what she got. She's holding his garment in her hand. I don't have time, I don't have time, I wish I did. Another day. She takes that garment and what does she do? She lies about him. What happened with his brothers with his coat of many colors? Lied about him. Said he was dead. Now saying he's a rapist. She tells Mr. Potiphar this was a capital offense. She was trying to kill Joseph. Because she thought maybe in her mind, if I can't have him, then no one will. I'm just gonna destroy his life. You wanna see the difference between love and lust? 
Love and lust, lust, when you are spurned, you wanna kill. You wanna destroy. You wanna have revenge. That's what she does here. Potiphar hears the news, he's mad. Should have killed Joseph, but what does he do? He puts him in jail. You know why? He didn't believe his wife. Probably wasn't the first time. And let me just let you in on something. Don't get the idea that Mrs. Potiphar was like a snaggletooth person, crazy person with that looked really bad and was you no know, old and decrepit. I mean, no, she was probably a very attractive person. This probably wasn't her first time. And think about this. Joseph did the right thing, didn't he? Yes, he did. What did he get for it? Jail. He obeyed his dad, and guess what he got? The pit. He obeys God, and guess what he gets? Prison. But God had a plan in the prison. The end of the chapter, chapter 39, book ends with this phrase, the Lord was with Joseph. Here's what I love about this story. Joseph lost his cloak, but kept his character. Joseph was put in prison, but he didn't lose the presence of God. And what you see here is that God was with Joseph even when nobody else was. When Joseph obeyed God and overcame temptation, he felt alone. Obedience to God often makes you feel alone. Listen, students in high school and middle school, obedience to God will often make you be isolated and alone. But you are never alone if you know Jesus. Here's a beautiful thing. In the story of Joseph's life, the name L-O-R-D, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, is found eight times in his story. But yet seven of the eight times where God's covenant name is mentioned is mentioned in chapter 39. And it shows us that in our darkest moments of temptation, God is with us. Now, when we read this, we often want to make ourselves Joseph. But this story isn't about Joseph. It's not about us. It's about the one greater than Joseph, Jesus. And the same one who was with Joseph is the same one who is with you. The one who draws near in our pain, the one who sticks closer than a brother, the one who sympathizes in your weaknesses, the one who hears when you pray, and the one whose mercies are new every morning is Jesus. See, we're not Joseph in this story. You know who we are? We're Potiphar's wife. We are disgusting with our lusting. We are guilty from our sin. And yet a truly innocent man will suffer so that we can escape judgment. See, Jesus, the innocent, sinless man, suffered temptation and overcame it. And yet the reward for his obedience was not immediately a crown, but was an old rugged cross. 
And it's only through Jesus that we have the power to overcome temptation and fight against sin in our lives. When the urge to sin is strong, Jesus is stronger. And he will help you overcome. Let me in with this. Stay with me. Please don't leave. Please don't. Some of you all are listening to a sermon like this. And you're thinking, man, I wish I'd have heard this two months ago. Wish I'd have heard this 20 years ago. Wish I would have heard this last week. I've messed up. I sinned. And I'm paying for it. Here's what I love about the Bible. You remember I told you that chapter 39 comes after chapter 38? And in chapter 38, it's a story of Joseph's brother Judah and this woman named Tamar. And Judah sins sexually against God and has a relation with Tamar, who's actually his daughter-in-law. And yet then you have Joseph. And Joseph was the good one and Judah was the bad one. But here's the question. From which line did Jesus come? Did he come from the line of Joseph? No. He came from the line of Judah. And if you look at the line of Judah, there will be broken people after broken people after broken people in his line. And here's what it tells us. That God can use sexually broken people and redeem them and save them and restore them to do much good. See, God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick because he upholds, guides, and cares for his people. Let's end. Stay with me. Please stay with me. There's some of you in this room that are in the battle of temptation. And you just need someone to pray with you. There's some of you in this room who you who have lost the battle of temptation. And you need someone to pray with you. There's some of you right now that you are you're feeling so empty inside. Jesus can feel it. So here's what I want to do. In a moment, we're going to sing a song. During this song, I'm going to have counselors, men and women up here. And like we've done in the past, they're not going to judge you. They're not going to look down at you. They're just going to pray with you. You can share what you want to share with them. You can share absolutely nothing at all. But there's going to be a group of men and women who love you and want to pray with you. And if you want to see change in your life, Sometimes it's mental, but sometimes it's physical. And instead of running from God today, why don't you run towards him? Let's pray. Father in heaven, just ask that your spirit moves, God. I sensed it while I was preaching that there are just some people that right now are in the very throes of what I'm talking about. 
So Holy Spirit, would there be a revival that takes place this morning that starts with repentance from God's people? And Lord, would there be a radical mortification today? Would there be a removal of options? Would there be a run from sin and a run to you? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Counselors are gonna be right here in the front. They're gonna be facing you. And, and listen, don't, don't, nobody's judging you. Nobody's looking at you. And if they're judging you, they, they need more help. They need to come down. But if you need someone to pray with you, we're right here. Come on down. We'll pray with you.